You're listening to IPI Radio. I'm Shanjay Mukherjee. In today's episode, we speak to Rupert Claxton, Meat and Livestock Director, Jira, on outlook for processed chicken market in India. After the break. In the orchestra of life, each creature plays a part. At Sapiens, we see the web of life, where the health of animals reverberates through ecosystems and societies. With innovative technologies, we're redefining the future of agribusiness, sustainably enhancing productivity and profitability. We don't just dream of a better future, we make it. Food safety, quality, and security. These aren't just words, they're our mission. We're sapiens, and we're committed to healthier animals because we believe in healthier living. Be a part of our melody, and together, let's compose a better world. For more information about our products and solutions, log into sapiensagree.com. Good morning, Rupert, and welcome to IPR Radio. Good morning. A real, a real pleasure to be, be part of this and, and one of your early, uh, early podcasts with the camera. So looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Uh, just to set some context before we start the questions, in recent years, the processed chicken market in India has undergone tremendous transformation with significant opportunities in the various segments. And a lot of this has happened post-COVID as well. This market is expected to grow at a CAGR of uh, 3 to 5% from 21 to 26. So in this context and this scenario, I'd ask, like to ask you a few questions key questions since you're working so closely with uh, the meat markets in various countries across the world. So with reference to India, Rupert, uh, what are the current trends and dynamics driving the growth of the processed chicken market? Okay, I mean, look, great question. And it's a fascinating time to be talking about the Indian chicken industry. And, and we talk about the broiler industry as the, the modern white feathered bird. That's been growing phenomenally for the last 10 years, 20 years, really. And as you say, what we see is that the, the transition now from that those birds going into the live market and moving into the, the processed bird market. And that mimics a little bit of what we see in other parts of the world. Now, the process in India, we think, will happen faster. There are complications across India, given the, the scale of the country which makes investment far more challenging. So if you, you know, if you went back 25 years and looked at Thailand, it's not such a big market. You've got one city to focus on. Whereas when you talk about the Indian market, the people making the investment have to decide how to spread the capital investment on those processing plants and not just the plants, but the onward distribution. So the challenge for me immediately is, is how do you focus those investors onto what are they going to do in the next three years? And then where do they want to be in 10 years time? Because if you speak to people, they always want to be nationwide. They always want a brand that's everywhere. But the reality of going to processed is you have to focus on detail. And, and that means you can't be everywhere at the same time, not immediately. So, I mean, I think the, the, that that's kind of the, the challenging side of it. For, for me, when you then go in and talk about why are we seeing the growth that we're seeing in in chicken consumption and and then into process today, that's really interesting. I mean, it's growing faster in India 
really than anywhere else in the world at the moment. And that's led by a very large population that continues to grow. And so that, that's helped from just a basic demographic point. Even if we don't grow per capita consumption, we're going to need more meat to feed an expanding population. But at the same time, right. we're growing per capita consumption. That's driven by really two strong factors. One is the economics. We're seeing an increase in people's disposable income, despite the inflation and increased cost of energy, which is a challenge today but reduces as, as we go out into the midterm. And then we have increased urbanization. And nearly everywhere in the world we go with urbanization, we find not just an increase in meat consumption, but a change in the way that we buy it. We aren't able to raise birds in the backyard for our own consumption. We have to then rely on the modern supply chain. And at the moment in India, that's primarily supplied by live birds bought into wet markets. And we're seeing consumers driven as you said, by, by the discussion around COVID, to think much harder about the sanitary conditions in which their food comes to them and looking towards that uh, chilled chain supply as to whether they can buy that meat pre-cut up, whether that's chilled or frozen. And then the, the next step onward from that is, is how is it supplied to them? Is that supplied through a, a small shop in the wet market that now has refrigeration, the step we saw China go through? Or, or does India want to leap ahead and, and we go down the model that Licious has been effectively trialing for everyone and showcasing that you can have a modern standalone meat shop uh, and, the, and the quality of the meat that you get from that, the choice that you get. And of course, there's a price to be paid. The consumer's got to pay for all the effort and work that goes into delivering those products. So, so lots of challenges uh, in, in how that chain develops. But fundamentally massive drivers for that going into the next five and 10 years. So once we talk about processed chicken, we automatically talk about consumer perceptions. So how would you say the consumer perception of uh, processed chicken, particularly in a country of like India, how is it evolving? And uh, how does this evolving perception positively, how is that sort of impacting the demand and the preferences and the market in general yeah and that's that's key because the the consumer perception has to be positive to pull the product through and so we've got to get the consumer and very often it's the housewife is the key point to move from buying a live bird into buying these cut-up birds whether again whether they're chilled or frozen and and that stumbling point comes across with what they know and understand and what they don't know and understand. And, and this is everywhere in the world where I see this, this becomes one of the big issues in that they know a live bird. They might very well know, you know, they might know the, um, the stool holder where they normally buy their live bird from. And so they have a relationship there. They're comfortable. They trust that supply chain. And that's where they typically go to. It might be in some cases that we see that they get a line of credit or that they can feel they can get a discount on what the price is. But mostly it comes back to trust that they are getting what they, they pay for. The, the next step of the process is to put the chilled product or frozen products in front of them and persuade them that it's not any more expensive or in terms of value for money, it's better. And that they can trust the safety of that product. So that's that's always the stumbling block. And we've seen that in I did a lot of work in China as, as the market there developed. And you saw the same story play out. The consumer wanted to pick the meat up, they wanted to smell it, they wanted to touch it. 
Right. And and that doesn't lend itself to the modern system because the less people that interact with the meat, the cleaner and healthier it is. So you have to bring the consumer on that journey with you. And very often that means having a, a brand associated with it because you've got to continue that that line of trust and, and visibility as well. The, the win really is that when we're selling live birds, we're very much stuck with selling the whole live bird. So although the price per kilo of chicken is quite low compared to other meats, say lamb in the market or mutton, you can buy a little bit of mutton, but you can't buy a little bit of the live bird. You're stuck with buying a whole live bird. And we know, you know, there are examples in the market where they offer to share a live bird between two customers if they can get them lined up, but it's still limiting. Whereas once you get to refrigeration or frozen product, you can then sell the legs or the breast meat separately. You can sell a part of the bird and you can control not just the per kilo price, but the unit price as well. So you can work with those lower income consumers. So we see advantages in, in taking them on that process. You need to get those shops in front of people. Uh, and that becomes the biggest problem is having enough product to put it consistently in the market that the consumer can buy, not just today, but when they go back tomorrow, it's also available. So that's one of the, the developmental problems that you've got to build trust, but you've also got to be the, the familiar touch point that they go to. You know, your brand is always present. So lots of opportunity to move the consumer through that. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, that we find that consumers are a little bit cautious about it. Probably rightly so. They've oh, they've seen food scares, um, and for me that becomes where the industry has to be really careful in this journey. Is that you're going to put a huge amount of investment behind not just chicken sheds, but a processing plant, and then a brand and distribution into, into a network of outlets. You need to know that your product is safe all the way to the consumer, and what you don't want is a story running in the local press or circulating on WhatsApp that so and so's brand gave me food poisoning or it wasn't good that control of the quality is is one of the biggest issues with this step in the journey that, that the industry is now on and and it's going to happen so it's a question of of who who wins and who gets this right and i know along the way we're going to see some people get it wrong um not intentionally but that's that's part of the process and, and i'd say you know not just in india but everywhere in the world i, I go and talk to people it's attention to detail once you start this process um and it takes it takes a long time to build consumer trust and it takes really mm -hmm. 10 minutes of madness to get it wrong and, and then you destroy everything you built up so true that's absolutely true so uh now you have you've had you have experience of uh, dealing with various markets or exposure to various markets so what would you say are the key drivers shaping the Indian process uh, chicken industry and uh, how do they differ or how are they similar to other markets globally? So what are the global trends? How do they compare to the global trends? Yeah, okay. And, and I think that's, that's a, a good point to understand because the reality is you're not going to take this processed bird and try and sell it to all of the Indian market all at the same time. And what the, the Indian industry needs to do is step back and go, we're not unique. This is something that has happened recently in other parts of the world. And, and then think about which ones are relevant. So you can go and look at, you know, the UK where I'm sitting today, 
has some of the best retail examples you'll see anywhere in the world. They're very good at merchandising and, and selling meat. And, and so there are interesting lessons to be taken. But some of that packaging is perhaps too expensive. The story behind it is too much at the moment. You can go into Southeast Asia, which is a more recent development in this modern retail chain, and think about, you know, the process that CP Foods has been on uh, in Thailand, the way that it has moved into the ownership of things like 7-Eleven and its own yes. food shops to distribute and the way that meat is packaged, but they're trying to control the price point. But at the same time, they're also moving into antibiotic-free and other products. So there are stories from around that you can go and look at but also you need to look at who are they targeting they're not targeting the very low income consumers yet you know even in central bangkok you can find a, low, a live bird market that's still targeting that part of the story right you know at the top end of the market um we find you you get a sort of uh, it's hard to explain but you get this offset where actually it's the middle income consumer initially is the first person to adopt this they are the households where we very often find that they have a good disposable income. Um, both adults in those households are generally working and busy. Uh, typically, they've got some, some young children. Because they moved uh, out of the countryside very often, you know, they're the first generation in the city, perhaps. They don't have the support network around them that we might see in, in the more traditional households. So they haven't got mum and dad to rely on for doing the, the daily shop and some of the cooking. And that was especially true when we looked at the development in China. Um, and, and so they, they're looking for convenience. They're looking for something that they can trust. It's easy for them to pick up. Perhaps they don't want to queue at the butcher shop waiting for that live bird to be prepared. But they can duck into the convenience store. They can pick up a packet of meat on their way home and it can be simply cooked and prepared. And then you have the opportunity to not only sell them the meat, but to upsell the spice and the things that might go with that to, to aid them in preparing the dish that they don't have time to do. So there's a whole sequence of events there that, that focuses on that middle income consumer. Interestingly, when you get up to the much higher income households and at the top of the market where they may have staff to look after them, then we find they go back to the wet markets because those high income staff, uh, the high income uh, household their staff are, are typically very low income and, and are used to shopping and familiar with going to the, the wet market where they might see the live birds and they're more comfortable in that environment. So it takes a little while for, for things to spread further up the chain where you'd expect the very early yeah, adopters yeah. to be. So, so that's, you know, becomes the, the center of the market and in India, huge urban developments, big middle income um, developments and also this, this surge in, in young and wealthy consumers provides a really good background for, for the development of this. The other thing that sits alongside this, you know, we're talking retail here, is food service. So at the same time as we've got this discussion yeah. around the retailers here, the food service market in India is, is developing really fast. You know, from those fantastic sure. independent stores yeah. selling yeah amazing flavors done here there and, and different from one street to the next we see chains coming out of this where somebody has taken the next step and now they're going to have a chain of restaurants across the city but with that comes their responsibility to make sure their food supply is safe and convenient but also they need something that they can supply at a standardized level across their network of, of outlets so we find them reaching in and looking for 
birds out of the, the professionally cut up and processed sector rather than coming out of that live bird market because they're looking for the convenience, but they're looking for the assurance on food safety. And on top of that, you've got some of the international chains coming in. And also you've got things like uh, hospital networks, uh, the army, schools, all looking for increased protein in, in their menus. And so those things create a really good base for a processing out operation to, to build volume on. And one of the problems of building a, you know, a, a large slaughtering plant that then goes on into this cut up and processed bird is you've got to have volume. Those, those plants don't want to run two hours a week. They want to run at a minimum eight hours a day, five days a week. Ideally, when we see them get up to scale, they go to two shifts a day. So they're, they're running 16 hours a day, five days a week. And, and that really, you know, the equipment that goes into those plants is expensive and, and therefore you need to put right, volume right. through it. Food service is, is really good for driving that. We'll be back after a short commercial break. That is a wake-up call against the growing shadow of antibiotic resistance over our poultry, our health, and our world. To fight this menace, Excelsio, a natural antibiotic free performance enhancer, marshals an army of bacteriophages, each engineered by evolution to engage a specific bacterial adversary. Excelsio uses a cocktail of bacteriophages that protects your flock against various strains of Salmonella, E. coli, Clostridium, Perfringens, and Staphylococcus aureus. Excelsio is more than a product. It's our shield against antimicrobial resistance. It's our stand for a safer, healthier future. For more information about our products and solutions, log into sapiensagri.com. I'll just leave this discussion into my uh Next question, that was, what are the potential market uh, segments or niches within the processed chicken industry that offer significant growth opportunities? And here I'd like to draw your attention also to uh, processed and further processed in terms of ready to eat and ready to cook. Where are we going with that? Yeah, okay. I mean, and that that's, that's already happening in, in India, but, uh, you know, so... That, that segmentation of where the birds are and, and how the market sets out behind it. So if I, again, step away and let's go and look at another Asian market and talk about the generalization in Southeast Asia is a good place to look because some of the consumer traits are similar. You're dealing with some of the climatic stress that we would see in India and you've got similar income development models. Whereas if we take the European model, it's at a different level already. So, you know, in France, where we have something called La Belle Rouge, which is um, effectively La Belle Rouge translated red label. It's the free range bird. Uh, and they, they've done phenomenally well at marketing this, although it's peaked. Very high price point around free range. We see in the European markets, organic is a strong product. I think probably a step beyond where India is today. There'll be a little bit of the market that could pick that up. But the reality is it's a distraction. But if we come back to some of the antibiotic messaging and, and animal welfare discussions that we're seeing in, even in Thailand, we see um, Better Grow run something called S-Pure, which is all about high welfare without going to free range, um, antibiotic free production. And really they're guaranteeing that this is a better quality product that is 
you know, the welfare, the food safety, it's all part of the messaging on that. And I can see already in India, there is a segment of that, the upper middle class that are looking for those, especially if we, if we discuss the young professionals where, you know, we know India has a strong animal welfare leaning. There is a discussion to be had around that. There is a segment there within the raw chicken market, fresh and frozen, that we can talk about marketing small volumes. And, and so you can segment now already a little bit between the main market and, and some of this welfare discussion. Within the main market today, there are going to be chains at retail, and this is where segmentation is easiest to see, um, that will want premium quality product. And, and I would say that Licious is looking for a good standardized product. Um, maybe some of the Venki stores are looking for the same discussion and so on, depending on where we are in, in India. And then we've got the more um, the more value meat shops where really the, the focus is on keeping the price point down. So, and we see really the difference there comes on the, the segregating some of the birds as they come out of the sheds in the production systems. And it might be that some of those birds have been pushed a bit harder. It might be that we're just separating on the quality of the meat that we see coming down the line and saying, okay, We'll take some of this and put it into that store at a higher point because maybe it's the cutting consistency looks better or just the way that the bird's grown out. And, and so we see a little bit of segregation around that. So in raw meat, that, that becomes sort of three price points. And in India, the majority of it's going to be focused around the standardized raw, fresh and frozen product. And now what we see growing out, is, as you correctly steered me towards, is what happens in the value add side of that. Now, value add, um, and, and again, you know, it's an interesting uh, nomenclature difference. In in Europe, we talk about that as processed. There's raw meat, there's processed meat, but you can call it further processed as well. So if in the Indian discussion, we typically call it further processed. The Americans, they call it further processed as well. So it's just a, a subtlety in where we are in the conversation. That further processing has a range of different levels to it. So at its very basic level, that's providing... Uh, could be a chicken breast, it could be thighs in a marinade. They're still raw, they're not cooked. But in there, you've got really already the cooking sauce and the flavor. And all you've got to do is tip that out into the dish, into the pan when you get home, cook it through for 15, 25 minutes, depending on what it is and thickness of the meat, and then serve it with some rice. And it's good to go. And, and it might be rice, it might be bread, it could be pasta, um, you know, and, and that's one of the interesting things that these bring access to international cuisine, not just um, what you're used to within and even within India. I mean, we can talk about regional cuisine. I mean, the, the fascinating thing I saw in China as these things developed was we got all sorts of regional Chinese cuisine became popular everywhere. But when I first went to China and I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, it was very different. The food you ate in Beijing to Sichuan to Inner Mongolia. To Shanghai, they all had Absolutely. their own flavors, and they were quite local. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this brings, you know, it's it's about de-skilling, really, um, but it's also about time saving. So that ability to to have something that still cooks and eats at home is amazing. But then we have the on-the-go discussion. So this is about you know, I'm, I'm going from A to B. I want lunch. I want something fast. I want it cheap. Now in India, you've still got plethora of these little independent stalls doing food but do you trust one when you're in a different city do i know where i want to go do, am i comfortable with that but if i go to the convenience store then i might be able to buy something that i know 
was okay at home. It's come from the same supply system. So we find this development of, of processed products in and around that as well. And some of those are raw products um, that are cooked in store. Some of them come pre-cooked from the factory and are reheated at that convenience store chain, wherever it is. So that's developing. And then, of course, we've got the, the cooked for at home products that develop, you know, the cold cuts. That might be uh, the thing that became popular in China was lightly flavored chicken breast that you can take home and shred into a salad or onto the top of a, a rice or a pasta dish. Um, and again, you know, you don't need to cook it. You don't need to do anything but take it home and just pull it apart and eat it. So we see those those developing. So they they kind of become the the, the retail discussion, and, and food service comes up with that. We see that some of the food service chains, you know, they haven't got a big enough premise. They just want a storefront where they can sell, you know, effectively heat and serve product from. So in that conversation, we see them going back, not just asking for the product to be cut and prepared so they can cook it in store, but now it's being pre-cooked, maybe pre-flavored, and that can again be heated in a small front or on a vending cart and served. So, and, and with those products, you, you know, you are seeing in India development of things like chicken burgers, uh, curries, but also more international things. There might be, again, a pasta sauce. It might be uh, a chicken hot dog. So a whole range of products that maybe the consumer isn't familiar with, but offer very low price point products. And, and so, again, within that, those products, you get a massive segregation of uh, really premium products. You know, that might be that that finely spiced chicken breast for you to take home and put with a salad, targeting a absolutely top end consumer. And at the other end of this, we've got uh, a chicken frankfurter which has got quite a lot of filler in there, some chicken meats and other trimmings and byproduct from the processing that allows you to keep the, you know, a low, a low value, uh, but filling meal for anyone on the street. And of course, those products will take on um, an Indian flavor. So they may be meat samosas, um, but they may be pre-filled um, rolls and, and all sorts of other things along the way. So that, that for me becomes really exciting to see what what India can do with that technology and, and take to the market. I mean, you know, if we're really lucky, that means some of the, the better ones will find their way back out into the international market and where we again get to experience all sorts of tastes of India. So that's that for me on the outside becomes becomes a, a great byproduct of it. Wonderful. Uh, how do you think uh, sustainability issues and the environmental impact of processed chicken production, how does they how do they affect the market potential in India? Do they at all affect market potential? If they do, how? I mean, look, it's it, sustainability is it, it's not more than the watchword now. It is it is the word with which the industry is is talking and thinking and trying to understand the give and take. And, and so, Within sustainability, we have to be really careful. There are there are three prongs to the sustainability discussion. There's one that we all go racing to, which is the environment and and the pull on uh, inputs that we need and and the cost output, whether that's measured in CO2 or methane emissions from from other livestock or ammonia from from manure. Uh, how much soil degradation are we seeing? Deforestation and so on and so forth. And and I'm sure we're we're strongly familiar with that. In Europe, it also means animal welfare. 
so we see a very strong discussion around how we treat the animal. Um, is it okay to keep chicken in cages? Is it okay to keep pigs in cages, uh, especially the breeding animals? Um, how much stocking density can we have in a broiler barn? Should they have access to natural light? So there's a whole range of things there. And, and that discussion is ongoing. We're talking about slower growing chicken in the, the European discussion, although with some hesitation because there are challenges around those at the moment. You know, the technology is there, but it, it has an impact on the um, environmental spoke of, of sustainability. And then the third one is really the humanitarian impact. And we have to think about within the sustainability discussion, there are 17 points within the UN's sustainability agenda. And, and in there, there are some really important things, especially in developing markets, you know, access to affordable food. Um, making sure that jobs are available and sustainable, making sure that businesses can grow in what is seen as a fair and even way. So, you know, without getting lost in the detail of that, because I've, I've, I've dived slightly off topic, but we have to balance what does sustainable chicken mean against all of those things. And so... One of the things for me about the, this the modern broiler chicken in a barn is that although there's a discussion on animal welfare, and actually if, if it's done well, the animal welfare should be good. I mean, I would strongly um, suggest to anyone in, in the production side of the business that they need to get their animal welfare right in their barns. It's good for the productivity of their system. If you get that wrong, you're, you know, dead birds aren't worth any money. Um, they're a cost. They've cost you feed. There's a cost to managing them. And eventually, if we don't make sure that the image of the industry is good, we will have uh, imposed by governments and regulators and the animal welfare lobbying groups, of which there are plenty even in India. We will have pressure on what we do and we will be told what to do, which is the discussion I've just been having in the US. So we need to look after that thing and our image as we go along this journey. But those birds are phenomenal in terms of their feed conversion ratio and their environmental footprint from a, a land use, a feed use, and, and effectively what we get back in a, in a meat return discussion. So in terms of making sure we've got the maximum amount of meat produced through a limited use of resources, this is they are a good thing. So those modern birds are very strong. Now we know there are challenges that they outcompete the village chicken. But I think that story is by and large already happened in India. How many white feather birds are there compared to the native chicken? I mean, that, that's that's already moved on. So we're beyond by and large that part of the story. Uh, so the sustainability discussion is really good. I think the industry needs to be more positive about the net impact. If you, you know, the, the discussion in Europe is if we want slow growing chicken, we need twice as much space because they need to be alive for twice as long. So that means twice as many buildings. That's before we go free range or organic. That's just if we want this, the, the slow growers, of which you know there are some sold. But that means building twice as many sheds. And it means that they're going to consume twice as much feed or at least considerably more. And so when you start to factor that in, they're not as sustainable. Now, they have a higher animal welfare impression, but I don't think that's been scientifically uh, proven or driven. Uh, and so we have to, to balance the argument. As an industry, we should take part in that. So there should be a pride in what, what we do. We can always do it better. 
and it doesn't matter where I go in the world. That's it is possible to do what you do today better. And and being more sustainable doesn't mean being less efficient. In fact, very often being more sustainable is actually being more efficient as well. So it's good for your business if you pick the right parts of the discussion and engage in the right way. So I think there's there's lots more to come on the sustainability discussion. Uh, I would encourage no one to oversell the credentials in the packaging and marketing today, because I think I think we're a long way from the end play of this sustainability discussion. But I think the modern chicken industry is part of the solution. Um, it will provide access to plenty of affordable protein. And one of the things that India has to go through in the next 10 years is the market is going to consume more meat. I think um you know that that for me is clear and, and how do you resource that and how does that per capita volume increase in a way that is sustainable chicken is very much going to be part of that process so sorry I, I've, I've rambled around quite a few things <laughs> on that and, and, and sustainability for me is something we, we you know we, we come across now week in week out and and it, it's really interesting to see the different levels so, I mean I think the the last thing I'll say on that is that you know, we work with a number of the banks and the funding looking at business plans. And, you know, up until last year, the, the international community would lend in the developing world based on the business plan being sound. And then we started to get calls sort of towards the end of last year where it's not just the business plan, but does this business have an element of sustainability within that business plan? And it became very simple. If there wasn't a sustainable model built into where we were going, then they weren't interested in lending the money because when they got back to where the money is resourced from in, in Europe and the US, the international community said, we're not going to lend. So that's becoming a challenge that has to be factored into mm. model and really interesting to see. That's very interesting to know that, I mean, things have gone to the extent when people are sort of holding back funding because of sustainability or making that as a precondition. So that's, that's, that's very, very... That's very interesting development, I would say. So our last question uh, for today, uh, Rupert, is how do you think the competition landscape is evolving within the processed chicken market in India? And would you have any insights on what major strategies are being implemented or followed by leading brands in this space? Yeah, look, I mean, that that is... It's probably the the multi-million, if not billion-dollar question in India is how how does this develop? And, and there are going to be winners and losers. I mean, we'll we'll start with that. It is getting much more competitive. I mean, we know the chicken industry is is national, but most of the companies aren't national; they're regional, um, and they're developing around strong regional bases. Some of them are still developing around a city, and I think the model today and a lot of this comes down to how big the Indian market is and how much capital these companies have got to invest. So with one or two exceptions, it's very difficult to be nationwide at the moment and have the supply of processed chicken consistent and available, in part because the transportation distances between the various regions of the country negate you being able to move fresh chicken between you know, Delhi and, and Mumbai, Perhaps, but south to north, that's a much bigger challenge. You want to go from Chennai up. You can do it. The shelf life in modern packaging is okay. Do we, you know, how much confidence have we got in the chill chain 
on the trucks in the store we're going into, how far do we want to push the, the shelf life of those products? So typically we've got to build sort of slaughter plants around those cities. Um, that means having multiple sites around the country, perhaps beyond where you think your volume might be today, but you've got to invest in scale because you know the market's going to grow. So there's a real investment balance there. That's capital intensive, not just because, you know, if I get, give the example of a plant in um, Arkansas I saw recently uh, in the US. Now that plant wants to go two shifts, five days a week. Now to get that plant onto one shift, five days a week, they needed to build 600 chicken barns. So that's a huge capital investment. Now it's done that's by huge. Rows on farms around that to get onto two shifts they need a thousand barns and, and these are u.s scale barns so the investment right. behind that and then the breeding operation upstream of them is massive to make sure that you've got that flow into that plant now not only do you need to invest upstream to make sure you've got chicken coming into your processing plant but you need to invest downstream into distri distribution that means that you've got to have refrigerated Bands that are reliably refrigerated, because remember, you're looking after a brand now that's going out into the market. And so you can't afford for one of your vans to be running around mm, partially chilled. You want mm -hmm. to make sure that it's going into a chiller cabinet. That might mean that in the early days of this, that you need to pay to put those refrigeration cabinets in various retailers. And you need to educate those retail outlets about the importance of keeping it turned on. We might see that the industry leans on frozen more than chilled to start with because it's a little bit easier to manage, but it also means that imported product can eventually get in alongside because you can bring imports in frozen. So the challenge I've seen in South Africa is that the industry, the distribution was frozen and the Brazilian chicken industry was able to go, well, we can do that too and cheaper. Here's our product. But it gets you around the problem that they tend to turn the electricity off at night because they're worried about fire. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them are worried about cost saving, so they turn the cost savings. Um, we see people, you know, unloading a, a, a tray or a packet of chicken that goes into that and then leaving it on the, the doorstep of the shop where it heats up a little bit in the sunshine. You know, even in the big retailers, I've seen products in Africa sit out for 45 minutes before it goes into the chiller again. So there's a lot of attention to detail. So what are, what are these big brands doing? To start with, they should focus and, and on, on a city, on a system. You've got to have a, somebody who's got an overview and is watching attention to detail. And then I think as they get it working around a major urban centre, then they'll build a, another model out onto another urban centre. And they might do that quite rapidly, but I think they'll find the capital difficult to resource. And they've got, you know, there's a lot of time that goes into finding growing partners and sites for new buildings and all of those things, not just the, the financial side of, of building that infrastructure. Uh, but it's you know some of that infrastructure is there some of it will develop quite quickly so we'll see them start to build multi multi-city operations and they'll extend brands out so at the moment we've got a lot of competition uh as those models grow out around the key urban centers where we see multiple brands beginning to compete with one another eventually the shakedown will be that the better operators will buy out some of the lesser operators it might be that they want their infrastructure Today, we already see some of that with the farms where, you know, a, a, we're looking for contract farmers and they typically move from from one supplier who's maybe not keeping pace to to another buyer who's saying, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a guaranteed price. 
And so we see some of that diversion happen, even with the, the live bird discussion today. And so I expect to see, and, and this will this will take not just five years, it's a 10 to 20 year game where we see consolidation at a, at a country level. And that do, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't build uh, an amazing structure today and sell it profitably into that. It's not about um, being a loser all the time. Sometimes it's it, it will just change as the module develops. And so somebody will say, okay, you've got a really good module there. I'm based over here in Mumbai. I think I'm going to, instead of building all of that from scratch, how about I just buy your operation and infrastructure out? And, and this is a good time to get out. And so that becomes a really interesting development. And, and at the same time, you go through the generation discussion. So we've got this thing where, you know, the, the father or maybe the grandfather founded the original part of the business. The father's now running it, looking to the next generation in the family to take the business on. Do they want to take it on? Do they want to be food processors and manufacturers? And are they really up for that challenge? I mean, it's, it is becomes a different business. Or do they feel that actually this would be a good point to sell that business on to somebody else? And so very often we see that that becomes part of the inheritance discussion is actually maybe it's better to to sell it or put a management team in. So, the, you know, this is going to be a, a fascinating time in India over the next, um, certainly the next five to 10 years where we see this this huge growth in processing. And then how does that play out? And and who who sensibly understands this is a good time for us to get out? I don't need to go head to head with whoever it is. Or actually, I think I've got a strong enough base. I'm going to be the one that wins and then buy out my opposition or, or push them out of the market. So I'm looking forward to, to spending a lot more time in India, Sanjoy, over the next decade. Um, you know, it's been, been been fascinating coming in and out over the last 10 years. And I'm sure we've got plenty more to discuss in the future. Thank you so much, Rupert. It's been fantastic speaking to you. And uh, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, story evolving in the country as far as processed chicken is concerned, and I think we'd all like to be a part of that and keenly follow that uh, that growth trajectory. Thank you so much once again, and I'm sure our listeners and viewers will get some very very insightful information from this discussion. Thank you so much. Great, Sanjoy. Thank you for the opportunity, and look forward to hearing the recording. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to IPR Radio. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Our podcasts are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We're also available at www.iprradio.in.